Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Wednesday, October 13th, 2021. Been two weeks since we last recorded a new show, and that was because Aaron was feeling under the weather, but you're feeling much better now, right? Or Feeling so much better, Jim, and I want to thank everyone that sent out their kind words and wishes on the Twitters and all that to, to wish me well. It was so, so nice to just get that uh, little boost of encouragement to, to feel better. And I got to tell everyone, I didn't want anyone to worry too much, so I, I just wanted to give a quick explanation. Jim, are you familiar with that impossible meat, you know, the burger that's made out of vegetables? Nancy insists anytime we roll through a fast food place that offers it, that that's the burger she has, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, absolutely. Well, I, I want to say I did not get sick from that. Mm-hmm. That's fine. If you if you want to, you know, eat that, that's totally cool. We were trying something a little different here at the household. It's called Meat Beats. And it's just like trying to get a vegetarian to eat a burger. We're trying to get carnivores to eat their vegetables. So we were using processed meat scraps to create things like green beans and uh, cauliflower. And it turned out the cauliflower, because it's a white vegetable, was mostly just raw chicken. And, and it did not turn out very well. So uh, the, the saying is true. You can't beat our meats. <laughs> Uh, and uh, don't try it at home, kids. <laughs> okay, well, well, we're much, off to a classy better. start already. Okay. Uh, no, it's all a joke. It's all a joke. I'm feeling much better. Thank you, everyone, for your kind wishes. But before we move on with the show, Jim, mm-hmm. one thing of seriousness that we must address, mm-hmm. we have a small correction that we must make. Okay. And uh, this is thanks to uh, Twitter follower Theatrical Forever. We have been saying Zendaya when apparently the proper pronunciation of the girl's name is Zendaya. Really? So I just want to say thank you to uh, Theatrical Forever. I wish you were here 20 years ago because you probably could have saved my radio career because I kept introducing If I Could Turn Back Time by Sure and then going into All the Single Ladies by Bay Once on the hit music channel 102.5 WIOG. Oh, my career could have been so much longer. It's the one, the one name celebrities that always throw me off. So um, anyway, thank you to Theatrical Forever. I know it took Jim only a couple months to be able to pronounce Taika Waititi with some accuracy. So I'm hoping that I'll be able to get on board the Zendaya train very, very quickly. Okay. Okay. Duly noted. Since she did point that out, I do think it's only fair that Theatrical Forever do get at least 15 Marvelous Disney Cool Points. And apparently that is now a stack one Zendaya tall. One Zendaya. Okay. There we go. All right. Let's move on with the show. Now that we've got all the the hubbub out of the way, the preamble, let's go ahead and roll on with the news. Well, again, it's been two weeks since we last recorded, and a lot of news has broken. Uh, Perhaps the biggest bit of news uh, happened actually the day after we recorded uh, our last show, uh, Thursday, September 30th. And that was when news broke that Scarlett Johansson had resolved her breach of contract lawsuit with Walt Disney Studios. And uh, Johansson's team initially filed this uh, lawsuit back Friday, July 30th. And for the past two months, it's really dominated the conversation, especially when it comes to Disney and its very popular and profitable division, Marvel Studios, as well as its its newly launched, well, relatively newly launched Disney Plus. 
Disney's CEO, Bob Chapek, supposedly picked this very public battle because he wanted to send a message to Hollywood that the Mouse House now had a tough new boss and that what with the rise of subscription streaming services, the talent in town was now going to have to get used to a brand new business model, at least when it came to working with Disney. That resulted in a tidal wave of bad press, both for Disney Studios and Mr. Chapek. I'm told that Mr. Chapek hoped that this would eventually all go away, especially on the heels of Disney's lawyers filing that motion with Los Angeles uh, Superior Court back on August 21st, which requested the company resolve its difference with Ms. Johansson through private arbitration, far away from the withering public spotlight. That didn't happen. As I've been told, Chapek kept getting asked, whether it was at the company's quarterly earnings call back in August or when Bob appeared at the Goldman Sachs 30th anniversary, and I swear to God, this is a real word, Communicopia Conference. That was in September. And But again, he kept getting hammered on the Scarlett Johansson situation. More to the point, what the long-range implications were of this very public battle when it came to one of the stars of Disney's top-earning film franchises. And so what changed? Why did Disney decide to settle? The story, I've been told, Aaron, is that Chapek was down at Walt Disney World for the kickoff of that resort's 50th anniversary celebration. This was last week of September, first couple of days of October. He's sitting down with Wall Street Journal, Forbes, all of the big outlets, and he got asked once too often by a representative of the press about the current status of the Scarlett Johansson situation. So Bob supposedly walks out of that interview, gets on the phone to Burbank, and says, settle. Make this go away. Disney offered Scarlett's legal team $40 million to settle, but it came with terms that she had to immediately issue a statement saying that this matter was resolved, that Scarlett was happy with the settlement, and that she looked forward to working with Walt Disney Studios in the future. Now, is her quote going to be exactly, I have accepted the terms, I am happy with the terms, I am happy to move on with the Walt Disney Company, like ABC verbatim? Well, let's listen to her statement, shall we? It says, I am happy to have resolved our differences with Disney. A, check. Okay, okay. I'm incredibly proud of the work we've done together over the years. B, check, all right. Okay, and have greatly enjoyed my creative relationship with the team. I look forward to continue our, our collaboration for years to come. She just should have forwarded the statement like CC and then at the <laughs> bottom where it should have ScarJo's signature, it just says dictated, not read. There we go. There we go. But the interesting thing is right behind this, the chairman of Walt Disney Theaters, Alan Bergman, comes out to, again, underline and reinforce what Scarlett just said. I'm very pleased that we've been able to come to a mutual agreement with Scarlett Johansson regarding Black Widow. We appreciate her contribution to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and look forward to working together on a number of upcoming projects, including Disney's Tower of Terror. But remember, Chapek did this, supposedly, because he was sending a message to the effect of, look, coming out of the pandemic and coming out of the launch of Disney Plus and streaming service and that sort of thing, the, you know, the old business model is dead. But think about it. We've talked about how supposedly to keep Emma Stone from joining Scarlett Johansson's lawsuit, Disney supposedly gave her $20 million as a make good and also signed her for a Cruella sequel. 
We've talked about how Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt, supposedly to keep them from joining Scarlett Johansson's lawsuit, they each were given $20 million and then signed for a Jungle Cruise sequel. <laughs> and then the $40 million that Disney supposedly just gave Scarlett to make this all go away, that's $100 million in make good money. You know, Jim, I could have solved this for about 26 cents. <laughs> It's very simple. Mr. Chapek, with all due respect, if you want to look tough Mm -hmm. uh, for a penny, you get a toothpick, you stick it in the corner of your mouth, you start calling people Mac, and then for 25 cents, you flip a quarter, and you just sit there and go, hey, Mac, flip, 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 and you look instantly like gangster from the 60s, and you don't have to screw anyone out of any money. 26 cents, problem solved, you look like a tough guy. Oh, if you had only had this conversation with Bob Chapek back in July, because it's like... He's still getting hammered. I don't know if you saw the the piece that Kim Masters did for The Hollywood Reporter. It was literally published on October 6th after he settled with Scarlett or after Disney discovered. And it lists all of his missteps to date. It's really not a a great way to start out as the new head of Disney. Well, the dude has had hurdles put in front of him from day one because it was like the the day that he was – given the blessing on his new job and they go, Oh, and by the way, there's a worldwide pandemic. See you. Bye. Yeah, and yeah. obviously Bob Iger stayed on to kind of shepherd him through that mm-hmm. more difficult, challenging period. And rightly so. I wouldn't want that as my first day on the job. Mm-hmm. What could they do as a business? They had to shut down parks for a while. Mm-hmm. They had, I mean, a lot of things that did not go well that were beyond his control. And really there was no game plan for any business for worldwide pandemic, what do you do in this situation? So a lot of it was trial by fire. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, 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 absolutely. And and more to the point, the New York Times literally just did a story about this this past weekend to the effect of, look, if we pay attention to what happened back in 1918, 1919 in regard to the Spanish flu and what that did to society, this isn't a question of, okay, we go through a couple of tough years and it's over. Said it was literally a generation before we were fully back up to speed. So it's like we all get our third shot and everybody masks up and, and the kids are shot and, and we're done. And it's like, no, no, that's not what this is. And so Chapek will face further challenges going forward. But this was a stupid fight to pick. This is a self-inflicted wound, and it's going to take a while before this recedes into the rearview mirror. I mean, you can make changes to contracts, just not after they've been written like that. You know, I mean, if if something is agreed upon, it's a, it's a bad decision to say, okay, now I'm going to make changes. Now, going forward, mm-hmm. I'm sure all of the Disney contracts will look vastly different oh, to good. what they did two years ago, right? No so, doubt, no doubt. Uh, Bob's going to make changes mm-hmm. in... As the head of the company, that he's got the right to do that. Mm-hmm. But you can't do it when you've shaken a hand and, and the ink is dried and, and that paper has already been filed away. That's that's not the contract you're changing. It's the future, yeah. Bob. The future that you want to change, not the past. Mm-hmm. Duly noted. Okay, well, moving forward here. Oh, speaking of moving forward, the news portion of this episode of Marvelous Disney is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Now, Aaron, given the health issues you were dealing with this past week or so, I'm I'm just going to assume you did not make it out to theaters to see Venom, 
Let There Be Carnage. I did not, but I did speak with our good friend McConnell, who joined us uh, a couple years ago for our, oh, our Black how, Panther show. How is he doing? Well, he had to call the vent after seeing Venom, mm-hmm. and uh, he's like, the only person that would understand is you. Okay. And so, uh, yeah, he called up, and he's just like, if you like the first movie, you'll like the second one. That's fine. Mm-hmm. If you ever wanted to have a train come through your living room... This would be a good experience to try and simulate that because it makes you ask the question, how in the hell did you get here with no tracks to follow? Like no story. It's just it's just things happen and it's loud and it's bright and noisy and it makes no sense and you just don't understand it. But whatever. Yeah. So if you've ever wanted to have a train come crashing through your living room and you wonder how the hell it got there. Well, that's pretty much what Venom uh, Let There Be Carnage seemed to be. For our good friend McConnell. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, the, the interesting thing is that, that, that there were a lot of people on this train because when, when Venom Let There Be Carnage opened in theaters on Friday, October 1st, it made $90 million over its opening weekend. That is That broke all records for a pandemic-era theatrical release, and that's more than the $80.4 million that uh, Marvel's Black Widow earned in it during its first weekend domestic release back in July. Likewise, more than the $75.4 million that Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings earned over its opening weekend in November during the first week of September of this year. People saw this. And people in the industry and said, wow, look, if Venom Let There Be Carnage can earn $90 million over its opening weekend, wow, this is really going to bode well for No Time to Die. That Daniel Craig film has gotten great reviews, and given that it's supposed to be this actor's very last appearance as 007, the thinking was, well, this United Artists release has to make at least as much as Venom, Let There Be Carnage, if not more, and did you see the box office this past weekend? That didn't happen. Yeah, and and I wish that there was some way to correlate financial box office to actual quality of film because the two seem so not hand in hand. It's almost the inverse. The Mm -hmm. dumber it is, the more the audience is there for it. Mm -hmm. What was kind of interesting about the 56 million in ticket sales that No Time Did I made over its first weekend in, in domestic release, the interpretation from folks in the industry is this basically sends a message that adults, older moviegoers, are not yet ready to return to theaters, or at least they're not returning with with as much enthusiasm as, say, the teenage males. In fact, it's worth noting that Venom 2, in its second weekend release, sold $32 worth of tickets. I mean, mind you, that's a 65% fall-off in ticket sales, but uh, honestly, for superhero most type movies, that's pretty much par for the course. You know, in Weekend 2, the box office falls off by 65%, so that this was a great hold. But this concerns a lot of studios who, going into the fall, have their quote-unquote prestige films, that the Oscar bait that's aimed at the adult audience. On the other hand, this really bodes well for The Eternals, which arrives in theaters in less than two weeks at this point, November 5th. And then Spider-Man No Way Home, which uh, arrives in theaters on December 17th. And this is the first time, by the way, I've ever dreaded watching a new Spider-Man film in my life. Really? And I, and I don't think that's a good sign as as being a, an owner mm-hmm. of a life-size Spider-Man standee from the 2002 film mm-hmm. with uh, Tobey Maguire. Yeah, I'm actually now currently terrified of what could roll on the screen when the time comes for, for our third Spider-Man encounter. 
Now, speaking of which, we'll, we'll get to that in a second, but did you see the, the news that broke about the Eternals about its running time? Yeah, and that I'm okay with for the simple reason of it's a very large, mm. diverse cast. Okay. It's a story that starts at the beginning of time in the Marvel Universe and goes all the way up to present day, so I'm expecting... I, I wouldn't want it to be truncated. I, I wouldn't want to have... You know, I've seen movies where you can tell that there are scenes missing. Mm -hmm. And I would much prefer to have a long, drawn-out experience and get the full, complete story than have something that's truncated and chopped up because the studio demanded that it fit into a more convenient runtime for the theaters. Mm -hmm. Now, my wife's only comment was, why not just bring back intermission? Mm. And I know that financially it doesn't work for the theater because you want to get an extra couple spins on that movie. And if you put a half hour intermission mm -hmm. in a, a really long movie, my goodness, that really cuts into how many times you can spin that film in that day. But we are not in normal movie theater going times anymore. No, we're not. Businesses need to evolve or die. Those are your two options. You can either evolve a blowhole or drown. <laughs> I mean, that's where we're at right now. So uh, the movie theaters maybe. Maybe consider making a night out where dinner and the movie happens all at your place. And instead of it being where you go to dinner and then you go see a movie, you go to the theater and have dinner there. And then there's a half hour intermission. Use the restroom, refresh your snacks, come back, finish the viewing. Mm -hmm. Great night out. But it's longer and it's more about going to the theater. You know, it's interesting you, you mentioned this because when The Sound of Music was released to theaters back in the 1960s, what they referred to as the roadshow version of that did in fact feature an intermission. And the interesting thing is the theaters did make money off of that because people obviously stepped out, grabbed a smoke break, got another soda or a popcorn. I mean, there were yeah. additional revenue streams that popped up for doing that. But yeah, the, to your point... They would lose a show a day to that, okay, you know, half hour, 20 minute long intermission because that piles up over time. But speaking of, of the runtime, Eternals supposedly is 150 minutes long with credits 156 minutes. Only Avengers Endgame, which was 181 minutes long, was longer. By the way, director Chloe Zhao also confirmed earlier this week that Eternals has two end scenes, one mid-credit and one post-credit. And she she just told GamesRadar.com to the effect of, don't just stay for the first one, also stay for the second one. They are equally important in weight and have big surprises for you. And I guess while we're talking about end-credit scenes... Have you, I realize you haven't seen the movie yet, but have you seen anything about the end credit scene for Venom, Let There Be Carnage? Oh, I've seen the end credit scene for Let There Be Carnage. Oh. And I want to say, yeah, we're, we're going to discuss that okay. uh, with all the spoilers in the world. Okay. So let's just set up what happens okay. quickly. Eddie Brock and Venom are sitting in a hotel room. They're chit-chatting. Venom says, boy, if you've seen all the stuff I've seen, it would blow your mind. Mm -hmm. And then Eddie says, oh, yeah, like what? And then all of a sudden there's a little transformation in the hotel room that he's in changes slightly. And then on the TV screen, we get one J.K. Simmons doing his J. Jonah Jameson mm -hmm. and screaming at the top of his lungs about how Spider-Man killed Mysterio. Mm -hmm. So Venom mm -hmm. did not get teleported into the MCU via some multi 
multiverse dimensional wormhole. Mm-hmm. That simply did not happen. That is not what that scene means. Everyone misinterpreted that. Okay. What really happened, mm-hmm. and I will take this to my dying grave, so if anyone tries to deny me this, I will fight you tooth and nail. Mm-hmm. Venom is in our universe now. And he was just happened to catch the last few minutes of Spider-Man <laughs> Far From Home on Cablevision in his hotel room. And he went, oh, that looks like a great movie. I should catch the rest of that when I have free time. And damn it, I am sticking with that until my dying breath. Okay. Don't anyone try and take this away from me. I'll be damned if this Venom will ever meet our Tom Holland. And that's why I'm terrified of the new Spider-Man movie coming up. Okay, continue now, Jim. That's an interesting interpretation. I will say this much. You and I have talked in the past about Sony's desire to do a Sinister Six film. And the fact that it's one of the world's worst kept secrets that Jamie Foxx is going to be in Spider-Man No Way Home. We've seen Alfred Molina in, in the actual teaser trailer for this film. Right. So We, we also n- saw a pumpkin bomb. There we go. All so right. that's three villains that we've got now. Yeah. And so, and Venom is a member of the Sinister Six, right? Well, it depends on which iteration of Sinister Six. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, back in ye olden day, mm-hmm. back in the 1900s, before I had to shave, yep. yeah, there was no Venom back then. So it was more the classic villains of uh, Ock. Mm-hmm. Goblin, Mysterio, Sandman, Craven, uh, Electro, Shocker. And we do have uh, Shocker still in the background. He wasn't one of the biggest characters mm-hmm. uh, or villains in the most recent Spidey movies, but he's still there. Mm-hmm. And we've got Vulture chilling in uh, an isolation tank somewhere. And by the way, remember that there was the uh, trailer mm-hmm. of Morbius, the living vampire, That had teased him encountering the vulture in prison. That's right. That's right. So, I mean, we do have a very nice handful of villains to pick and choose from right now. But Mm -hmm. the idea that the Sinister Six is coming from the multiverse. And as I was speaking with McConnell about this, I, I reiterated my frustration of... Why are we just rehashing into the Spider-Verse? You know, it's it's just a live action into the Spider-Verse so far as all it seems with the whole, we want to do a Sinister Six and we want Venom to be a part of it. And Sony is just basically wetting the bed mm-hmm. with, they can't wait. They just can't wait for Christmas to open their presents. So here it is, December 12th, mm-hmm. and they're just tearing shit open because mm-hmm. they have no patience. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I guess I'll just have to take a deep breath. Do a little Zen Lama 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 Lama. Mm-hmm. Wait until the movie comes out. See what it really is instead of my preconceived biases and notions. Mm-hmm. And then just take a chill pill for a month or two while I wait for this to <laughs> sort itself out. Yeah, we are, uh, you know, uh, again, December 17th before we, we finally do, in fact, get to see. Though what's been kind of interesting, I don't know if you saw the story that broke Yesterday, there's a lot of theaters that are actually putting up fan-made posters that show Tobey Maguire, that show the other gentleman who played Spider-Man, along with Tom Holland. Sony has been very upfront about you know their desire to get Spumpk, the Sony Pictures universe of Marvel characters, up and running. And certainly the box office, how well Venom just did at the box office, Venom 2. That's got to warm their hearts. And and remember, it wasn't all that long ago we, we were talking about how Tom Holland himself supposedly reached out to Bob Iger and, you know, the, when it, at the point where it looked like that 
Spider-Man wasn't going to be able to be in any of the Disney-produced Marvel Cinematic Universe films, and they extended that deal for one more film. I think that Sony, with what they've done with this film, with the, the tease with the Alfred Molina and the Jamie Foxx and this R. Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire in this film, I think this is appointment movie going, and in a, in a pandemic year where you can't get adults to go into the movie theater, people are going to turn out for this. I mean, I, I think in a weird sort of way, it may be the last Tom Holland film, and that's not really maybe Tom's choice, but the, the contract has come to an end. And You're right, it is his last, on the contract, it is his last one, and mm. they, they're they either going to have to renegotiate, recast, mm. or come up with something creative like, well, hey, now that we've reintroduced, you know, Toby and Andrew back into the fold, maybe we can just do... Mm. Spider-Man 4 from, you know, the Toby years and Spider Amazing Spider-Man 3 with the mechanical rhino Paul Giamatti that we never got. And then we can also do uh, Tom Holland's Spider-Man against Venom with Tom Hardy. And, you know, that I, I just think Sony has no care about what's good. It's just, can we make money? And let's use everything that we can to make any cent we can anywhere we can. Mm-hmm. And they'll abuse that until it's just... A pointless endeavor. But I know. do sincerely want to point out here, if you look across the way at what Disney did with The Mandalorian, where they brought Boba Fett in and where they bought it, brought in Luke and R2-D2, and sometimes when you bring characters in that people love from other things, uh, they lose their minds. You know, that, that becomes appointment viewing, or I get up, go see that in a theater. So let's call it what it is, Aaron. It's a stunt, but people do come out for stunts. I wouldn't make the comparison of Mandalorian with Boba Fett and Luke simply because they were, you know, characters that exist in that universe without having to have a wormhole open up and and swallow them and spit them out in a parallel universe, which is the Toby Andrews scenario. And the comparison I want to give is exactly what Disney's been doing for like the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. Hey, we did something animated that worked. Let's do it live action and not change damn thing. Just Mm -hmm. rip off ourselves do the same thing, make the same money, and we need not think. That's it. No thought needed. Uh, and and that's the comparison I think is the most apt for that. Okay. But again, we have to wait until December to be proven wrong because I'm just speculating based off of rumors and hints at a trailer, and the rest is just garbage in my head. So. Okay. All right. Well, again, we're talking about a post credit scene here, and it, 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 speaking of which, We've just found out that the post credit scene from Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is finally bearing fruit, which we'll get to on the second half of today's show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Before we get to that Guardian Zoo, Aaron, you did see the season finale for Marvel's What If Season 1, right? Oh, absolutely. And what a wonderful way to end it. I couldn't have been more thrilled. It was just spectacular. Yeah, they did a great job. Now, a couple of things here, though. The Gamora that we saw in armor, the original plan was uh, season one of Marvel What If was supposed to have 10 episodes. But what ended up happening because of the pandemic and it just it was a bridge too far. We can deliver nine. We can absolutely make nine, but 10 is just, you know, we don't have the resources and we don't have the staff. So that episode, the, the one that explains how Gamora ends up in that armor, uh, and in fact, what's kind of interesting is that it's all also supposed to be a fairly lighthearted Tony Stark-related story. That got booted to uh, season two of What If? So we're, we're going to have to wait a year before we get to see that. But at the same time, it's just sort of like the lighthearted Tony Stark episode was supposed to make up for the fact that how many times did Tony get killed <laughs> over this this first season of What If? I think I lost count at six. I think they were just pissed that Robert didn't come back to do the voice work for Tony. So they're like, you know what? Let's just kill him. Let's just keep killing him. That'll teach him. But at the same time, I kind of enjoyed in that episode, in the what if the, the, the Watcher broke his oath, that moment with Gamora where Tony immediately starts giving lip to the Watcher. The Watcher is like, not you, Stark. I'm here for her. I love that moment. What about you? Was there anything that particularly leaped out uh, for uh, of this episode that, that you especially enjoyed? Or This is one of those rare instances where the end episode, the finale, mm-hmm. ended up giving more strength to a couple episodes that came before it. Like the, the one where, where bro Thor mm-hmm. going out to party in Vegas was, I, I think we both agreed, the funniest of all of the episodes. It was okay. just laughter from beginning to end, and it was a great fun house mirror on, on mm-hmm. what we've come to know and love about Thor and all of that. Mm-hmm. And then how it ends, and then it picks up with the next episode and and carries on the storyline and then we get this final culmination to bring it all together and we had always been expecting an anthology series that wasn't connected just Mm -hmm. here's a story there's a story but then to have it all start to come together in the end in the way that it did Mm -hmm. just made everything that came before it important before, they were just single things that you could look at and go, well, aren't those beautiful? Mm. But when you start clicking them together and putting them in place, they become pieces of a puzzle that create a much more broad and beautiful picture. And now we want to see things like, what would we call these Avengers? The alternate Avengers or something with a, a Peggy as the captain? I mean, I want to see that team on screen. What I enjoyed about it, when you, you think about Zemo is the virus, and you, and you include Killmonger from the get-go, and the notion that the Watcher took this into his calculation. Well, of course Killmonger is going to betray us, and of course Zemo is going to want the Infinity Stones. And so you, you know, it was always, always about we need to get this to a draw. And that wonderful moment of, as the story's coming to a close, here's the dark Sorcerer Supreme going back into his gem, and he just realizes this is his duty now. Somebody has to watch 
this gem that Killmonger and Zemo are trapped in and make sure that they don't escape. And that offhanded, you know, wonderful line reading by Benedict Cumberbatch. It's like, what are friends for? Trapped in here for all eternity, making sure these two idiots don't get out. And every once in a while, I really do like a very dark, dark ending on a storyline and to have Doctor Strange kind of trapped in that Mm -hmm. little gem of what used to be a universe and everything sucked away and he's just got nothing but to watch over two other idiots in prison and Mm -hmm. he's the warden Mm -hmm. and that's his entire existence now is just that. It's like, my goodness, how bleak. It's your own personal hell, but it's your duty. Well, but at the same time, the counterbalance at the very end of the episode where you had both Peggy Carter and Black Widow initially resist returning to their world, to their timelines, because it's like, haven't I earned a happy ending? And to watch the Watcher supposedly obey his oath and yet still deliver on that. I genuinely enjoyed this all the way through. Now, the only question is when we, when we do finally get to season two. Mm-hmm. Because we now have expectations, and it's going to be a a situation of, I'm going to watch season two, episode one, and I'm going to be looking for that clue of, is this going to carry over? Is this going to continue a thread into a a finale in season two, where we team up with, you know, whatever they're, they're giving us in season two? And so... What happens if they go, oh, let's just go back to an anthology. We don't need some big grand finale where everything gets teamed up. What if we just go back to the original idea of telling individual stories? I think a lot of people would be really let down and and disappointed. And you're not wrong. You're not wrong. But A.C. Bradley, and I'm blanking the name of uh, the show director for a lot of these, just talked about the fact that, you know, initially when they would drop these episodes and people would complain, it's dark and it just and it ended so abruptly. And it's like we did have a place we were going. We did have a place we were heading. And and at the same time, they were talking about how excited they were about that if you know T'Challa had become Star-Lord and how that was potentially a, a spin-off and then of course the sad passing of Chadwick Boseman sort of derailed that idea and speaking of Star-Lord I guess at this point we should pivot to talking about the Will Poulter news that just broke last night James Gunn himself because I guess the trades uh, broke this news on Monday. And so James hopped on Twitter to say, as you guys know, I often strike down false rumors. So um, welcome to the Guardians family, Will Poulter. He's an amazing actor and wonderful guy. See you in a couple of weeks. And so this is the guy who's going to play Adam Warlock. Gunn's been in the news a lot this over the, the past week or so. I, I don't know if you saw back on October 2nd. He mentioned that as part of the Guardians holiday special, which will be debuting on Disney Plus in December of 2022, that show will introduce, and this is the quote, this is what he tweeted out, introducing one of the greatest MCU characters of all time. But we already have Howard the Duck. (laughs) Well, but again, it's interesting (laughs) you say that because it's, and it's, it's Cosmo the space dog, right? He's also been introduced. There's been he's been uh, in the uh, the the collector's collection. Well, no, you see, but that's the thing. That's it exactly. Only James Gunn would have put those two characters in the collection and been able to introduce them like that. So it was so funny that the greatest MCU character of all time is like, well, wait a minute, we already got Cosmo, we already got Howard. Who the hell is this? But the Disney Parks and Resorts revealed. As part of their press event for the launch of the Disney World's 50th anniversary celebration revealed last week, Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind would be the next big attraction to open at that resort. No opening date given, just calendar. 
2022. So, Aaron, this is a lot to unpack here. So let's start with the obvious. Uh, you know, so we have Will Poulter as Adam Warlock. And again, we saw this sort of hinted at at the end of Guardians 2. What's the big deal about bringing this character onto the canvas? Well, he's like uh, all powerful. I, I don't want to say godlike, but pretty close. It's cinematic language of the MCU that I've really, really loved, but it informs a lot. And mm -hmm. I, since I haven't seen anything about how they're handling Adam Warlock, mm -hmm. I don't know what they're going to do. But like, for example, Doctor Strange, he's got his orange circles and mm -hmm. whatnot. When he uses magic, it's a, a fiery orange, mm -hmm. right? Uh, we had Mysterio was illusion, but it was green magic. Mm -hmm. Purple has been Agatha oh. for her magic. Mm -hmm. But then we get to Scarlet Witch, and she's Chaos Magic, which was apparently a red version. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it would be purple, right? Mm -hmm. So all of these characters that wield magic, or they have some ethereal, mystical power, like Captain Marvel's more of a fiery yellow, not orange, right? Mm -hmm. Like, And so on screen, you can tell whose power is being used simply by the color of the magic coming out of their hands. Adam Warlock... I don't know what color they're going to use. And that is a big thing about what is he made of? What is it a celestial force like uh, uh, Captain Marvel where it will be a, a yellowish? Because mm -hmm. I, I don't see him as, as magic. I don't see it being orange like Doctor Strange, purple like Agatha, or red like Wanda. Hmm. I guess when it comes down to it, I think he's a great casting choice as an actor. As far as the character goes, I don't know what the plan is for the cat, but I am eager to find out. And also, there have been a few different iterations of this character. Mm -hmm. So are they going to do the one where he's wearing, you know, like uh, the red underoos with a red cape and yellow spandex? It doesn't quite seem to fit with his spacey vibe unless they make him like all regal because that was a queen it of uh, the planet you know so i mean maybe maybe a cape would be the thing that they put on him to give him that whole regal type vibe before we get to guardians of the galaxy 3 these characters are, are showing up earlier that that, that they're going to be part featured at least in the, the first portions of thor love and thunder so gotta remember that you know this story will pick up earlier than the stuff that, that James Gunn is working on. On the other hand, I am fascinated by this thing about the holiday special, the, the greatest MCU character of all time. And again, okay, we've taken Howard off the list, we've taken Cosmo, and this is a holiday special. You want to roll the dice here, make a guess? Jeepers creepers. I mean, knowing James Gunn, it's got to, it, I want to say it's more of a tongue-in-cheek thing that mm -hmm. he's saying. Like, I don't firmly believe that it's the greatest otherwise it would be you know wolverine because mm -hmm. he's one of the highest selling comics mm -hmm. that marvel's had forever so i i really don't think that it's going to be anything that anyone would ever expect mm -hmm. um and very similar to you know like rocket mm -hmm. no one knew who the hell rocket was in the in the main public mm -hmm. until he was introduced via on-screen Guardians of the Galaxy, and everyone's like, oh my god, we've got a talking raccoon, what's up with this? Mm -hmm. And then, because he's lovable and crazy and, and violent with his guns, and you mm -hmm. know, and you pair him up with a tree, and boy, that seems appropriate, right? 
so everyone's like, well, this is just the craziest pairing, a walking, talking raccoon and a walking, talking tree that only says I am Groot, yet they have the most elaborate conversations. Well, this is just silly and fun. Mm -hmm. And I think that it'll be something kind of similar where it could be one of the older Guardians of the Galaxies that, you know, I mean, we, we've already seen the ones that were hinted at in mm -hmm. the end credit scene with Stallone and uh, Miley Cyrus doing the voiceover. Well, they've already been introduced, so let's take those guys off the table. But it could be one of those characters that's older, that's been introduced before, that used to be a member, that used to do something, that used to be cool. And James just really loves that character. And when we see that character on screen he's confident that the rest of the world will go, oh, this is fun. I love that character. Let's have more of that, please. So I think that James's greatest character of the MCU is a, a touch tongue-in-cheek, but he himself is very, very passionate and adamant that he loves the character, and we will also love that character once we see them as well. Got it. Now, now speaking of which, you know, we just had that the tweet just from last night about, you know, uh, James welcoming uh, Will Poulter to the Guardians cast and saying, see you in a few weeks. So we know that production is gearing up sometime toward the end of this year. But that said, Gunn isn't just shooting Guardians 3. In the same window of time, he's got to do that holiday special because that's December of 2022. He's also got to shoot all of the the film elements for Guardians of the Galaxy, Cosmic Rewind for the, the new Epcot attraction. Again, that's got to be done basically up front because, again, that's supposed to open in calendar uh, you know, 2022. And and then, you know, the, this film that's supposed to wrap up the trilogy. Understanding that, understanding that this shoot isn't just a film, it's actually three projects, it kind of makes sense now that Gunn has been relatively straightforward, that this is his farewell to this IP, that why not go out on top with, you know, three projects, you know, all hitting the marketplace basically in the same window of time. But I have great trust in James Gunn. I'm sure he's going to, you know, between these three, wrap this up IP up in a nice bow. And very much looking forward to the the holiday special on Disney Plus in, in 2022. And speaking of the holidays... I don't know if you folks have been hearing the same stories I've been hearing about the stories of the ports around the U.S. about all the container ships that are full of cargo that are anchored offshore that haven't been able to be offloaded yet. Likewise, the uh, shortage of truck drivers to then, once this stuff is offloaded, to then haul it out to the various stores around the country. And so the phrase that's now being used, uh, kind of here we are in the middle of October, is the Christmas crisis. As in, there's a lot of stuff that's not necessarily going to make it to the holiday shelves this year just because of the transportation-related issues. So what they're basically saying, the message that's out there now, is if you are in the store and you see something that you think a loved one wants, would like for the holidays, buy it. Buy it now. Speaking of which, Aaron, can we talk a little bit about what the lovely Sabrina got for you, <laughs> you know, as a get-well gift? It was the most awesome thing ever. I've got a copy of the Daily Bugle sitting on my table downstairs. Actually, I've only got the first floor of the Daily Bugle done at the moment. Well, did I read correctly that on the outside of the, I think you sent me a photo of the, the outside of the box, 3,772 pieces. Is that correct? And that's just the minifigs. 
I'm telling you, I, it came with, it's got all the villains, it's got Mysterio, it's got the Green Goblin, it's got uh, Daredevil, uh, it's got Venom, it's got Carnage, it's got uh, a, a J. Jonah Jameson, a Peter Parker, we've got a Miles Morales, we've got a Spider-Gwen, we've got a regular Gwen, a Betty Brant. Uh, actually, I'll tell you, it came with so many figures. My wife also has the Seinfeld mm-hmm. uh, apartment Lego. Mm-hmm. And that comes with a little stage with a little brick wall, a little microphone, a little table for Jerry to do stand up in. And so what we've done is we've taken because uh, my wife is a fan of Batman. Mm-hmm. And so she's got a Lego Batman Batmobile that came with a Joker. So what we have now is we've got the Daily Bugle next to Jerry Seinfeld's apartment. And there's a little stand up stage in between the two where the Joker is doing stand up. Everybody from the entire MCU is now in the audience, and Aunt May is serving cocktails. I'm sorry, Aunt May. I know you've had problems paying the bills on the apartment lately, so we got you a job at Jerry's Stand-Up Comedy Club serving cocktails to Peter and his friends while they watch the Joker kill on stage. Get it? Bum bum. Oh, there we go. Stop! Thanks. I'm on a roll. It's a cinnamon roll. I'm allergic. Achoo. Uh, anyway, geez. okay. We well. we've been having way too much fun well before Christmas, and the yes, it is a massive, massive set mm-hmm. of Lego. And uh, I think five stories tall and all the all the levels actually come off so you can kind of peer down into, you know, if you want to see what's on the third floor, you can take off the top two and they just pop right off and you can look in and and play with your figures and move them a boot and have little adventures in the Daily Bugle. And boy, is it a good time when all of the villains are attacking the Daily Bugle. And you know what? The damnedest thing, Jim, Mm. no Tobey Maguire, no Andrew Garfield Spider-Man in the set. Weird. Really weird. How they can pull off a Sinister Six without the help of other Spider-Man. I don't understand. And there we go. All <laughs> right. I'm, I, as a personal favor, as you... Well, first of all, I would love to see that shot of the Joker, you know, in the comedy club, you know, entertaining oh, the, 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 all of the Marvel supervillains. Uh, but yeah, as, as you proceed along with this 3,772 piece set, you know, I, I, as you make some progress, I'm, I'm going to be intrigued to see if you actually get this done by christmas Um, well there's the only reason we won't mm -hmm. is because there's a lighting kit available for the lego set that my wife is very adamant that we get because she's i got her the the lunar lander and the saturn 5 rocket Mm -hmm. and those also come with lighting kits so all of our lego have lighting kits installed in them Mm -hmm. and once she saw that the daily bugle had a lighting kit she had to order that so we're going to wait for that to come in and so yes the daily bugle sign on top of the building will light up all of the floors will have lights the elevators will have ding ding lights for up and down and uh everything it's crazy even the the little taxi outside has headlights and taillights that will work so you're killing me yeah we're gonna take our time with it we'll we'll enjoy it over the season the fall season as we sip our hot cocoa and do some lego okay well here's hoping the lighting kits have made it off of the container ships into the trucks but Speaking of which, though, folks, again, so if you're a Marvel fan or if you're somebody who's shopping for a Marvel fan, this Daily Bugle Lego set sounds amazing. Uh, But there are a couple of books that I also want to put on your radar. In fact, I just yesterday got in the mail the official Marvel Studios collector special for Marvel Studios WandaVision. It's a, a behind the scenes on how that show came together that hit store shelves on the 12th. 
the one I really am looking forward to this fall, and I have to tell you, I ordered this month or so ago to get a discount, but it's the story of Marvel Studios, the making of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It is a two-volume set, 512 pages, and I have to tell you, it initially retailed for 150 bucks. Right now, Amazon has it for 10% off. I want to say I did a little bit better because I ordered this thing back in July or August or something like that. But hefty, hefty book, but supposedly a really deep dive on how the MCU came together. To follow up on the WandaVision making a book, Titan, uh, they have a Marvel Studios Falcon and the Winter Soldier Collector's Edition, which takes you behind the scenes of this limited series for Disney+. Plus. That's supposed to hit store shelves on November 23rd of this year. But interestingly enough, to tie in with what Aaron was talking about earlier, about the notion of, you know, what is it? Uh, Doctor Strange has orange magic and Scarlet Witch has red magic. There is a book that Gazalton is putting out on November 9th of this year that literally is called Marvel by Design, which supposedly takes the 30,000-foot view of, you know, how, you know, uh, your favorite comic book characters, the design that went into the distinct costumes, the, the color choices, the uh, the very things that, that Aaron was just referring to. But again, that hits on uh, November 9th. And I kind of warned you. You know, the odd thing is I got a preview of that. And uh, as you get to the last couple of pages, they started running out of color options. <laughs> so when we get to Fantastic Four, they're going to be doing plaid as a magic color. I don't know how it's going to work, but we'll see. <laughs> Now referring to one of my favorite gags from Spaceballs. So again, <laughs> exactly <laughs> there we go. But yeah, that's going to be sixty nine dollars. So I, I, again, I get that it's a little pricey, but but again, if we are truly facing what they're talking about now, the Christmas crisis, you know, maybe it, it's time to step up, especially if you're, you're shopping for a Marvel fan and and either order these things now with the hope you get them for December. If you see them or you see them on store shelves, grab them now because they. They may not be there later this fall. So that is going to bring us to the end of this week's Marvelous Disney. I want to thank you all for listening in. Aaron, I was enjoying, while you were convalescing, you still managed to get on social media. In fact, to, to talk about your duties over at Disney Dish. I mean, face it, you're not just editing the shows. You're traveling the country and, you know, whether it's judging at country fairs or, or helping out with, you know, rail clearing or that sort of thing. So it was nice to have you, you know, folks were telling you to stay home and convalesce and you were talking about, no, I must get to the, the, the potato. The Munger Potato Festival and the Auburn Corn Fest. There These we are go. Good, you know, so. Agricultural icons across the mid-Michigan community that uh, actually was, I used to go to the Auburn Corn Fest every single year for many, many years as a young person. Wow. And, uh, and the Munger Potato Festival and uh, the, the oh Oktoberfest Frankenmuth hello my Frankenmuth people I love your beer send me some please I can't make the trip this year but I would love some of the Oktoberfest beer no but again seriously folks this was half the fun of following Aaron on social media was was keeping tabs on I must get out of my sick bed I must travel exactly. and do my duties so Aaron where can folks find you on social media so they don't miss out on this stuff Oh, go to your local Twitter store and buy a pack of at Azaprod, A-Z-A-P-R-O-D, and it's guaranteed to tickle your funny bone or shatter it into little pieces and spread the ashes across the winds. 
We also have a, a social media presence. Uh, Nancy would like me to, to remind you folks that uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram is Jim Hill Media and over on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. Tell you what, folks, if you could do Aaron and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend the show. Likewise, if you really, really, really like what you heard here today, uh, if you want to head over to Camp, uh, Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be helpful. And I guess that will do it for now. So thanks for listening. And Aaron and I will be back soon. <laughs>